Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Project Y podcast, where I, Ariel Zappia, bring on different experts in the homelessness field, and we discuss a variety of topics surrounding homelessness. Today's episode topic is community outreach and homelessness, and our special guest is Jeff Connor. Jeff, do you want to kind of introduce yourself, tell us your job title and your responsibilities? Sure, yes. Thanks for having me, Ariel. I appreciate having an opportunity to share a little bit more about what I do and the organization that I do it for. So I'm out in Minnesota. I work at a emergency shelter, Stepping Stone Emergency Housing as a development officer for the organization. So Stepping Stone is a 66 bed shelter. We provide 62 beds for our residents who apply and then get um, accepted into our programming to receive emergency shelter, but then they get a lot more beyond that with case management and um, just helping folks um, get back into stable housing. And then we have four overnight beds as well. And um, that's for like emergency referrals from the police departments and hospitals in the area when they have somebody who needs a place to stay overnight. And then what are your responsibilities specifically? Yeah, so as a development officer, I always tell people that my my the main focus of my job is to develop community support, um, whatever that looks like for our shelter. So the main aspects of my job are meeting with donors, learning more about them and what they're looking for and what they're hoping to see happen at our shelter um, to help have a bigger impact on the folks that we serve. Also always looking for volunteers who you know, that's how I got involved out here at Stepping Stone actually was before I became an employee, I started as a volunteer. I didn't have the money to donate at the time, but I had some time to donate. So I started donating time out here, serving meals and um, doing some mentorship and things like that with some of our residents for a couple of years and then was able to move into the development officer role about one month, almost exactly prior to the pandemic outbreak. So um been relearning this whole job on the go through a pandemic and now we're relearning how to do it once we're out of a pandemic yeah yeah thank you and then i know you kind of covered the basic services at stepping stone but are there any other specific services that you want to kind of highlight before we get into the community outreach um you know i mean so what we do when a resident comes in, they're expected to meet each month, two times at least with the case manager. And that case manager's big function is to help root out what their unique barriers are to stable housing. So for every individual walking in here, that can look way different. Some of them, it's mental health. Some of them, it's drug addiction. Some, it's transportation. Uh, We live in an area just north of Minneapolis where we're kind of like on the edge of the bus line. So for you, I always tell people, you know, for you and I, if we need some deodorant, we run to Walmart, you know, maybe it's a 15 to 30 minute endeavor to run to the store and get something for some of our residents when they need some of those basic things where they need to run to the the Walmart, it might take them half a day because of the bus routes and how they can get from one part of town to another. So transportation, jobs can become an issue, documentation. Uh, We had a a resident, normally our residents only stay for 90 days initially. That can change based on their individual barriers. And for instance, we had one resident who came to us at the beginning of the pandemic who was, um, didn't have documentation or documentation had expired. She was living as a roommate with someone 
And then the pandemic happened and there was a fallout and she had to leave nowhere to go. And she's been with us since the early days of the pandemic because she had no documentation, no way to get a job, no way to prove citizenship. She wasn't a citizen. Um, she had nothing. And so she stayed with us for quite a while. I'm happy to say that just about a month and a half ago, she received her U.S. citizenship. So oh, wow. um, next steps will be now with that is getting her connected to the programming that she needs to be able to get into more stable and long-term housing. But that's kind of the major thrust of our programming is really all about how can we help identify those barriers that are keeping people out of stable housing and then help them do whatever they need to do, overcome, jump around, go under, sidestep, whatever it is that needs to happen to get past those barriers and into stable housing. That's what the housing plan is designed to do in collaboration with their case managers. And then we have a lot of collaborating partners, folks from the community who will come in and um, provide services. Yesterday, Anoka County, the county that we reside in, came in with um, looked like probably about half a dozen professionals who helped our residents with different um, county type of uh, helps that are offered to them. So some that people don't even know about, they can find out once they get in here and start collaborating with case managers and outside collaborators. Another collaboration that we have is a um, mental health um, services, uh, conscious healing comes into our shelter and provide we've given them like an office space to meet with our clients who have mental health needs we found out during the pandemic we weren't able to get a lot of mental health professionals to come in and face-to-face -face communicate with residents and that was a huge deal um, for our residents just not having that face-to-face -face time so being able to come in and sit down across you know the table or you know in a in a safe environment and face-to-face -face communication with a therapist has made a huge difference too so those are some of the things that we do we also collaborate with the area employers staffing agencies to help our folks get jobs and other nonprofits in the area to help connect our residents with services yeah i think that all of that is really important and i think it's also great that you have more of a holistic view of everything it would be a lot harder I see it at least for you to just provide housing or just provide those mental health resources, but really being a complete resource for those in your area is really, really important. And I think provides a lot of help to people, especially because sometimes it can be hard to find one resource. And then if you need to find, you know, five different resources to help you, one with housing, one with food, one with mental health, one with addiction resources, it can be kind of difficult. So I think that that's really important as well. Yeah. And now moving into our episode topic, community outreach. So what aspects of your role specifically surround community outreach? Pretty much my every aspect of my role is garnered around, shaped around community outreach. Community is a huge word that we're using here in our shelter. And what I view my job as um, inside the shelter is to help our residents feel a sense of community, not just inside of the shelter. You know, for a lot of them, this is the very first time they've ever lived in community um, or for a very long time that they're living in community inside the shelter walls. But the 
the reality is, is that our shelter is located within a larger community of a, of a city, the city of Anoka, and then the county of Anoka and um, the state of Minnesota. And so we're all members of this community that keeps expanding as we go out. And I think sometimes our residents forget the fact that they are actually indeed members of this community. So that's an important thing I like to help shape and instill within our residents is that sense of community and the bigger community outside of these walls. And the way that I do that is one with talking to them, but even more importantly is going to the other side. Um, and I don't mean to set up divisions there, but just going outside yeah. of the organization, finding community collaborators who will come in um, and, and walk side by side with our residents. We're not looking for volunteers and folks that are wanting to come in and you know have a savior complex or want to fix people. Mm -hmm. and think that they know that the way you know know the ways that people need to be fixed um so we're looking for folks who can really come in and just be in the presence of our residents and whether that's like uh monday afternoon um there was a church youth group that came in and did uh, an ice cream social so they sat out on the front porch of our shelter and served ice cream to all the residents who wanted ice cream and helping those kids and those adults in that that are chaperoning that program as well as other organizations and other individuals in the community get a sense and, and acknowledge that our residents are part of their community and this community is only ever going to rise up um, if we all rise up together um, you know i think booker t washington had the comment that you can't keep a man in the gutter without keeping one foot in the gutter yourself to hold him down something mm -hmm. along those lines but i really think about that a lot that you know our community will never rise above those who are struggling most within our communities and so um, we spend a lot of time in this world thinking about how to move the top higher um, but we don't think a lot about the other end of kind of the inchworm and moving that along and, and moving that into betterment as well. And that's what Stepping Stone is all about, is taking some folks who have come across some hard times. Um, and one thing to really point out is, you know, we're a suburban homeless shelter. We're not in the downtown areas of Minneapolis and St. Paul. Suburban homelessness looks a lot different than what we see in more of the urban areas and downtown areas where we see more of that chronic homelessness. So we're seeing people who are setting up tents on the streets and encampments and things like that. Um, and that's on the edge of chronic homelessness. Um, we do get some residents coming from that, but a lot of these folks are people who, you know, they're spending 80 to 90% of their income on rent. And then they have a job issue. They have a sickness, they have a car, breakdown um, and they can't get to work or the repairs are too expensive for them to afford and pay their rent at the same time and so they have to start making hard choices that then move them into um, not being able to pay the rent and then are forced out onto the streets and so a lot of folks come to us from from a circumstance that led us to this condition of homelessness yeah i think that's really important and my understanding of community outreach and i think what it's typically known as is kind of the way like you said of bringing people in so uh, before we get into why it's important do you want to just give a basic definition of community outreach for any of our listeners that may not be familiar with it hmm that's a good question i don't know if i have a really good definition of it i mean i think it's pretty 
almost self-explanatory that it's just really reaching out into our community to individuals, to churches, to civic organizations. For instance, this morning, um, I spent the first hour of my day out here, 7.30 to 8.30 a.m. at a breakfast meeting um, for our Rotary Club in one of the communities in the area. And I know our executive director belongs to another Rotary Club um, in this community, um, in this city that we're in. And so we spread out that way. We'll go to the Chambers of Commerce. We're creating interactions with employers. Um, I have an initiative that I'm in the developments for creating some some training for employers to work with our population of residents and help them understand a little bit of some of those unique challenges. You know, our we do a lot of job training and job club type stuff. We'll bring in employers, we'll bring in the workforce from Anoka County to come and train people on how to find jobs, how to interview for jobs, how to dress for interviews, different things like that. And one of the things that really strikes me is how that's all well and good. Our, our clients don't seem to have a struggle always with finding a job. A lot of times it's with keeping a job. And when we're working with people who are coming from traumatic, you know, undergone chronic traumatization over and over again throughout their lives, who have developed this sense of worthlessness um, throughout their lives because of the way they've been treated by individuals and maybe even their families and then society as a whole, they respond to some typical things an employer might need to ask of an employee like, hey, I need you to improve your performance. I need you to speed up or, you know, hey, could you do this a little bit different? Sometimes that's real. That's tough to have those conversations at times with people just in normal everyday environments. But then when we have those conversations with somebody who, um, you know, didn't have that family structure or maybe their family ignored them. I had one gentleman whose dad, you know, beat him up as a kid, put guns in his face. And um, when he gets met with something where somebody's telling him to improve, and I did one day, I, I, I said to him that I think you're not doing enough to resolve your situation. He got really angry at me. And it what I realized was that I I invoked his fight or flight response. I per, put him into that survival mode. He chose to flee. He's like, I can't talk to you right now and stormed out. Well, imagine if that same guy did that with his employer who needed to talk to him about how to improve his performance on the job. And so part of what I want to do is educate employers out there of how can we learn to be supportive of these folks and tolerate some of these behaviors that for a long time we found intolerable, but but we really need to start looking at because it's humane for both both parties, you know, um, there's a shortage of workers out there and we've got an untapped workforce. And if we can learn how to um, really work with and help these folks, it can have a huge impact on both their lives, but then also on the businesses that they're going in and working at. But it's going to take time and effort and a lot of collaboration. And that to me is what community outreach is, is just educating. You know, they're, even in my small little town here at Anoka, many folks out in our community have no idea that there's a homeless shelter right in their very city. Yeah. Um, and then we fight NIMBY. Um, some of your, your listeners will probably know that N-I-M-B-Y, not in my backyard. Um, mm -hmm. One county over, we ran into that where we had the funds authorized by the county commissioners to purchase a static site. And they they found a spot where they wanted to do it. And that city voted um, 
for a moratorium of, I think, three years of no, they're not going to allow any shelters to go up in their city for three years. So that was a case where they really saw the need for a shelter. They just didn't want it in their city. And so push it on down to somebody else. And part of community outreach is just helping people to understand, you know, and, and form a different opinion maybe than they've had around the idea of homelessness. It's a very divisive kind of issue. And we can see, you know, our politicians like to, to make a very political too. So we see it kind of, you have two different ways of looking at it. And typically they're from the left and from the right. And we got to get right into the middle and figure out that middle way that is always the best way. Yeah. And what aspects of homelessness does community outreach typically address? Because we know that, of course, it's directly addressing the community and bringing those community members into the work of homelessness. But what aspects of homelessness specifically does it address? In terms of the actual, like, institution if you will of homelessness is that is that kind of what you're at like what's make causing homelessness I just or or for the individual experiencing homelessness i think whatever way you think it affects it or addresses it yeah so one of the things that i realized early on in my role here at, at um stepping stone and and looking at stepping stone and kind of where we line up in terms of the response to homelessness um, I think of the analogy, I think Desmond Tutu talked about it, you know, at, at some point when you're fishing people out of a river, you know, they've fallen into this river and you're, you're pulling them out of it one after another, somebody at some point has to decide to go up river and find out why these folks are falling into it. Yeah. And so when I look at like homelessness, we are at the point uh, where we're in a shelter where we're pulling people out of the river and that's our job and that's our focus we hope one day to be put out of business. And, you know, as we grow and continue to evolve, we'll probably start addressing the state and the experience of homelessness and what are the, what are the causes. You'll hear a lot of people give us the cause that lack of affordable housing is an issue. So my, my community outreach can help educate people on these causes, but then I like to even go deeper. You don't hear a lot of people, they'll stop there. That's the cause of homelessness. But really to me, that's a symptom of a, of a deeper cause. So if we keep going upstream, what, why do we have a lack of affordable housing? And we really got to look at our kind of consumer driven success-based society, money, power, wealth is our, are some of our main drivers. Um, and we're willing to let people live out on the streets um, versus compassionately caring for them all because we need more money in our pockets. We need to feel that security of having more money, I guess, more profitability. And it's how we're judged in many ways as, contributing members of society. How much money are you adding? How much uh, wealth are you accumulating is is our main kind of factor and judgment when it comes to our successes in life. And I think we got to start really looking at how do we judge success in an individual and how can we judge the success of our society when you've got so many people sitting out in the streets homeless. And I know that there are folks out there who choose that lifestyle. They're very few and far between. Uh, many, a lot of it's come from mental health concerns. Um, you know, we shut down state hospitals. Look, I don't think until 1981, I saw in a documentary, The Invisible Class, that homelessness didn't even exist as, an, as, a, as a thing, really, until about the mid-1980s, early 80s. 
Um, and it came as a response to some, some uh, policy and regulations that were changed. But then I think also it's just come based on the way that our society is headed and what we believe. And then it also came from closing down the state institutions, the state hospitals. We did a lot of bad stuff at those places back in that time, but maybe instead of, you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater, we could have looked at how we could more compassionately serve those folks because many of the folks that we see out chronically homeless, um, you know, destitute, we've all seen them, you know, if you've been through any inner city folks out there, maybe we, we like to think that they're always having some drug induced um, state, you know, if they're screaming and punching at the air, but it could also be schizophrenia, psychotic breaks. There's lots of mental illness. Many people do drugs because of the fact that they're self-medicating um, due to a mental illness and they're trying to find a way to feel right. In that same documentary, Dr. Gabor Mate um, talked about people doing drugs and asked users the first time they did heroin what it felt like. And one of the users said, that it felt like pure love, like somebody was giving them a hug. And I just remember gasping when I heard that and said, well, no wonder, you know, we all crave and need love. And if that's the only way somebody can feel love is through a drug because the community and the people that are around aren't giving it to them. Are we surprised that people would gravitate towards that and become addicted to that feeling of love? Yeah. And another thing, just a quick addition onto that, I was talking to Pam Prestonall, this was in a past podcast episode, and she had mentioned how a lot of the time the experience of homelessness is so traumatic that it leads to drug use and drug addiction. So I think that's kind of one of those things where it can be a cycle. Um, you know, people may become homeless due to their drug use, but then also the trauma of that situation kind of wraps them up in it so whether they became homeless and were drug users or not a lot of times if you're on the streets if you're chronically homeless you're gonna kind of get into that especially when you see people around you like that and you know it feels dangerous if you're not um on drugs if you're not addicted to something because at least then you know you're kind of in your own mental wonderland so i think that that's a really important point about the whole stigma of drug addiction that a lot of times people don't address or I think just don't know about because instead you just see the final product of oh look at these people on the streets they're all crazy drug addicts but in reality there's so many steps that go into that and so many reasons that go into that and the trauma that is caused by homelessness is something none of us could ever imagine you know unless we're in that situation so I think that it was great for you to also touch on that point. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because in just this morning, and I don't know what article, it was somehow in my Google News feed, and I clicked on it, a, an article about homelessness. But in that, they, they mentioned drug use. And one of the things that they talked about, um, to your point, was people taking these methamphetamines to be able to stay awake. And part of the need to stay awake is that need to... Um, be vigilant for their own personal safety out living on the streets. And so, yeah, there's lots of things that go into this issue, you know, and drug use, it's not, that's not everybody's story who comes through. I don't even think that half of our residents um, have drug issues. Half of our residents have jobs and they're just not paying enough for the rent prices here in the Minneapolis area. Yeah. And now moving back 
into the community outreach, why is it important? How does it help organizations with their missions? What's the point of it, sort of? Yeah, you know, I think I think about my own journey, and uh, you know, I, I alluded to the politics and the way that we feel. And I'm a business owner, an entrepreneur, and I, I definitely came up with a little more of a conservative feeling of personal responsibility. And I'll go out and often talk about to groups of people. I live in a very conservative congressional district here in Anoka County, um, and and that's part of the challenges then of having a homeless shelter in a conservative district because. Um, a lot of the response you get is people don't want to acknowledge even that there is an issue of homelessness here. So at outreach, one of the best things that we can do with outreach is education. And I'll start a lot of my talks as, and I'll, I'll just start screaming out kind of as an attention getter, get a job. Why don't you just get a job? And I'll talk about how that's how I used to feel about, you know, people out there signing and panhandling um, who are experiencing homelessness. It, and it came from a place of ignorance and, and that what we've always, what I grew up believing um, in per terms of personal responsibility and everybody can lift themselves up by their own bootstraps and things like that. But I guess what I kind of realized, and it was more on my own, and this is, you know, I think outreach can help with this too, is just start kind of eroding away at some of those sentiments yeah. and knocking them down and chiseling away. And, you know, now I don't like, I just one day had this thought, like, what would be going wrong in my life if I needed to go out and beg complete strangers for money? And not just, and maybe I don't even need to, but even if I don't need to and I'm willing to go out and do it, there's something else there. Like, that's not the behavior of somebody who's experiencing, uh, you know, a normal, happy life. And so I just started to really kind of look at it and then think more compassionately about it. And I started giving people the benefit of the doubt who were out there um you know asking for money and and really what happened to me is i just started paying attention to people i started making eye contact and started having conversations and i'll tell your listeners that's probably the number one thing you can do um and i know we don't live especially if we don't have something when we're in our car you know but carry a case of water with you if you're in one of those areas and hand somebody a bottle of water and just roll down the window and hand them the water and say i don't have money or I'm not going to even give you money, but here's a bottle of water and I just want you to know I see you. And I think that softening of people and you do that enough and you're going to start softening. I sat near with the resident one night and had a conversation at dinner and he looked at me and just thanked me for having a conversation. He said, this is the first time somebody has actually sat down and looked me in the eye and talked to me and he couldn't remember how long. And it's that sense of isolation, that sense that society has given people of their worthlessness um, that's really hard to overcome, you know, when you got a whole, if a community is doing nothing but talking about how horrible you are, it's really hard to start seeing yourself as anything other than horrible. And that's where community outreach, I think, is going to have to go in terms of educating people, helping keep people to, to not, to lead with compassion, to start from a compassionate stance, um, instead of coming from a place of personal responsibility and it's their fault flip it around and just start from the other end of it and then see what you can learn by getting curious about it. Yeah, I think that's actually really similar, you know, to Project Wise mission of just trying to educate people. That's the entire reason that I even added on this podcast onto our sort of overall mission, because I think 
being able to learn about homelessness through all aspects of it, whether it's from those really experiencing it, which I think is really important, and understanding the actual causes of homelessness and the fact that there's not one cause of homelessness, every single person is unique and it's more just a conglomeration of circumstances, but then also understanding that people are working to fix it because I've noticed that a lot of people who are not within, you know, this realm of work, they don't see any of this. They don't see these people really devoting their lives and their time to trying to help people. And I think that really brings down people's overall morale to the issue. They don't think that anybody is doing anything. They might see a shelter, but they don't see all the people within it. So I think that's what's so great about kind of adding this on as another resource so that people can see every aspect of homelessness and hopefully then reaching even more into the community of people who may be more interested, you know, to see it from the organizational perspective of maybe, you know, we can bring more people in to make a difference in whatever way they feel most comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say, you know, nobody out there is responsible for another person's, um, you know, condition of homelessness. I always tell, you know, there isn't a person on the planet who could eat enough food to cause somebody else to starve. There isn't a person on the planet who could have a big enough house that is causing someone else to be homeless. Um, and, and often we find ourselves blaming and, I, and we got to get out of that blame game. There is nobody here, you know, the, the entire system that we live within, we've inherited and we've grown up in. Um, and nobody is responsible to for anyone out there being experiencing homelessness. What we are responsible for is how we choose to respond to that plight of, of our neighbors and members of our community. And our response is going to be ultimately what changes um, how we how we deal with this and what causes it and to help us start eliminating those causes. But it's going to be a long process. Um, and that's where folks like you coming in, you know, putting out information to just help people maybe think about it from a whole different perspective that maybe they've never considered before because they've always been fed you know, what, the, what to think about this issue. And when you start getting out there and if you, if you think you know about it and, and then get out there and start working in it and helping volunteer, be around the community um, of people experiencing homelessness and those helping to aid those experiencing homelessness. And if your, if your mindset doesn't shift, I would be very, very surprised. Yeah. And thank you so much. I want to kind of wrap up the podcast with a special question of the day. This is a question that relates everything back to your personal experience um, in this field. And this question is, how has connecting people with your organization through community outreach versus directly interacting with individuals experiencing homelessness, as you did before, affected your understanding of homelessness as a whole? I think... For me, um, I look at our vision. We just did a new strategic plan last year and our vision changed and our vision is now to provide a safe and inclusive community response to ending homelessness for all. And I think what's changed for me as I've gone this journey, um, understanding and, and living this life of helping people who are struggling through homelessness is that there are a lot of, lot of, lot of people out there who care and are deeply concerned for their fellow humans 
and want to help. Um, a lot of folks just don't know how, or they don't know how, how much their help is needed. And so to me, these podcasts, you know, getting on TV, doing getting in the newspapers, whatever we can do to talk about this issue and just help people to think about it and start thinking about it differently um, and more compassionately, I think is going to ultimately lead us to a different type of society than what we're living in now. You and I may never see that um, in our lifetimes. I'm not, I hope we do, but I yeah. think we're on a path as our collective consciousness moves towards a more compassionate consciousness. Yeah, I think all of our work that we're doing is leading us to that. And I also hope, just like you said, that one day it will really make a difference. And, Absolutely. And that is all. Thank you all so much for listening. If you would like to learn more about Project Y or read personal stories from our unhoused neighbors, feel free to check out Project Y's website, www.projecty.biz. And if you're able to, please also donate to allow me to continue recording podcast episodes and posting stories regularly. And of course, check out steppingstoneeh.org to learn more about the Stepping Stone Emergency Housing. See you next time.